Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Hoth. And each week on The Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got PJ Dixon. PJ is a lifelong motivational speaker and international transformation coach who focuses on results. Despite his disability, which was expected to take his life by seven, he chose to live and live well. PJ truly lives an extraordinary life, sailing, outdoor skydiving, indoor skydiving, trapezing, zip lining, hiking, mountain climbing, snow skiing, water skiing, aqua jetpacking, and the list goes on. He's a former wheelchair athlete, international traveler, amateur watercolorist, founder of two non-profit organizations and four disabled sports programs, a published author, 10th degree black belt, martial arts, and women's self-defense instructor and meditation coach. Additionally, PJ has been inducted into the Hall of Fame for People with Disabilities and was nominated to carry the Olympic torch for Tucson in 2002. So welcome on to the show, PJ. Thank you, my friend. I'm super glad to be here. It's an honor. I love the name of the podcast too, right? The Mindset Athlete. So versus just the athlete, like the person who really has control of their mind being considered the the next age or the next evolution of athleticism. I love that. I appreciate that. Is there anything that you haven't done? Uh, I haven't surfed yet. Um, and I really want to surf. Um, I haven't uh, traveled independently. I always have to travel with somebody. And I love this idea of just sort of being, you know, this gypsy or this, uh, this person who can just go and walk about who can just set everything down and just walk away and then just walk and travel until, you know, their spirits has come back. So I haven't been able to do that yet, but my mind is percolating on what are the ways and the options for me to be able to make that happen. I like your way of thinking in terms of you looking very much in an open and broad perspective. It's none of this um, perspective of, you know, curtailing yourself to a box. And I, and I was asked this yesterday on the Yes, You Can podcast about, you know, do you see disability as a hindrance or do you see it as a good thing? And I kind of went, it depends on the perspective. And I think you would agree with this because it depends on which narrative you want to use the, the victim, the empowerment, you know, the sky's the limit in terms of where you want to go with it of, you know, um, perspective of where am I going to go with this? You know, that you want to play that card is very much, sometimes look for in humor of you've probably seen the memes with you know the wheelchairs parked in the, in the handicapped space or if we use the rhetoric from a negative perspective of 
I'm disabled uh, and thus I need to jump the line. Um, sometimes that's just and it, and, and it probably needs to be played. But I think where you're coming from, from, from both an empowerment standpoint and, you know, the sky's the limit and you are a person living in the, the personification of that because ultimately your life was supposed to finish at seven years old. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it, the answer to that question is exactly what you said. It depends on your perspective, right? For me, if I get up on stage and I say the exact same thing that an able-bodied person says, chances are what I say is going to resonate and land more because I'm a a professional speaker. So it's going to likely land more because of my disability than it it does if there's an able-bodied person. So in that case, it works in my favor. If I really want to help people, excuse me, and inspire them, and I want them to feel as if they can accomplish anything because they have more faculties physically than I do, then it's a benefit to me. If I look at it and I go, I want to go and walk about, I just want to like, you know, cut my ties and my cords and just say, I'll be back whenever I'm back and travel Europe and Asia and, you know, South America and Africa and just go and walk about, you know, it's a bit of a hindrance, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible. No, it just means I get to be creative. I get to think about what are the alternative ways of doing it. You know, for example, skydiving, when I skydive, I don't, jump out of the plane by myself. Not yet. I mean, it's still in my mind. I'm still contemplating like, okay, like how can we really make that happen? How can I get in one of those squirrel suits where, you know, you're, it's like the wing suits where you're flying long distances along uh, the surface of a mountain. Like I'm always thinking about, okay, how can I make that happen? What are the options, you know, and calculating and thinking it, um, looking at new modern technology. So, you know, I'm at a disadvantage there, but it, I'm also at a greater advantage because for me to accomplish certain things like that, I have to get creative and find ways to do it. So skydiving, it's more like being kidnapped. I basically get strapped to the front of somebody. And when they jump out, so do I, whether I want to go or not, you know? So there's always a way. The question is, are you going to be creative and explore the options and the ideas? Or are you just going to accept status quo and go, well, I, I just have to just accept where I am. No, you never have to accept where you are. You get to create your life the way you want it to be. That's what I've done. That's why I've been able to accomplish so many things and live the life that I live because of the way I was raised, because of the mindset, because of the probability that I can figure out and find a way. And if I can't, then I bring in smarter minds than me and we collaborate. There's always a way. There's always a way. And I love that. Would you put it down to, if we had to actually pinpoint a specific word to classify this, uh, and I and I talked about this on a Facebook Live yesterday on my feed, and the it's the three C's to improve confidence, and it's from Brendan Bouchard's High Performance Habits book. Do you think it comes down to congruency, what we're t- what you're talking about in terms of? the positive mindset and the environment that you're very much within for people that the people talk about, well, confidence is something that you either have or you have not, which is ridiculous because it's, it's nothing that anybody is born with when it comes to confidence. People are more, have more confidence or less confidence in their 
competence, I would say, ultimately, because they, they come and in, in both feed off each other because ultimately you would probably have, and this is only my opinion, possibly more confidence on stage than I would do because you've got more reps. But from a performance standpoint, and this is where people always look to to me as, you know, they're looking for cues as, well, what is what is your motivational tool to be successful in this environment? And ultimately, there's not one one key factor. But do you think, coming back to my initial question, it's congruency of, you know, the people that you surround yourself around, the environment that flourishes that, and obviously you know, the connections and the competence of doing it rep after rep after rep? So I would say, yes, that congruence has a lot to do with it, but it's not necessarily congruence. It is, it's beneficial to be in congruence with the people that are around you, right? Or more importantly, to flip that around, are you being congruent with your own identity? And is the identity that you have creating the people and the crowds and the friends and the people that you spend the most time with, are you creating your environment? So the first way where are, am I congruent with my surroundings? I'm being influenced by the outside world. Um, and that's shaping me versus me looking inside and saying, well, like, who am I? What is my identity? Because identity will make or break you. Right. And so if I look at myself and I go, well, no, this is how I identify. I identify as an adventurer. I identify as somebody who loves adrenaline. I identify as somebody who looks to a challenge. I identify as somebody who would rather choose courage over fear. I identify as somebody who won't quit. I identify as somebody who loves life and wants to drink up as much as I possibly can. And I want that for other people. So when I know who I am and I identify who I am and what is important to me and my values and what um, gives my life meaning, then I'm able to then act with congruence provided I'm living within uh, provided I'm living with integrity associated with that identity. And then I choose the people around me almost by default because they happen to like what I like. Start with yourself. Don't start outside of yourself. You know, and as far as confidence goes, I like to say that confidence is the awareness of your skill set and the willingness to use it. Because I think that once you're aware of your skills, like the competence that you're talking about, once you're aware of your skills and a realistic awareness, um, then the question is, okay, that's great. You might be aware of it, but are you doing anything with it? Are you willing to move with that skill? Are you willing to say, oh, no, I can do that versus, well, yeah, I can do it, but I don't know if I'm very good. No, like, can you do it or not? And even if you're like, I don't know if I can do it, there's this idea like, um, there's actually, it's not an idea. There's a study. And I think it was a 20, 22 year study, something like that. Um, <clears throat> and they studied children that were raised in families that praised them for doing a good job. And then there were, uh, they studied another group of kids that were raised in families that were praised for trying for making an effort. So once these kids reached like 18 plus, which ones do you think were naturally, um, achieving at a higher level? the kids who were praised for doing a good job or the kids that were praised for trying? Obviously the first one. Mm-mm. No, oh, not wow. the kids who are praised for doing a good job. The kids that are praised for trying, for making the attempt. Here's why. Because if internally 
I only feel like I'm going to get praised when I do a good job, then I'm going to be afraid to do things that I've never done before. So I'm going to limit myself. I'm going to put a governor on my ability to move forward. I'm going to say, oh, there's a limiter on this. I don't know if I do a, a bad job. What if I make a mistake? I'm not going to get the praise. You don't think about not getting the praise. But what happens is there's this part of our mind that really needs to be social. We need to be accepted by the the, the tribe. And if we're not accepted by the tribe, then all of a sudden we, there's this fear that we're left out in the open by ourselves. And that's dangerous. And so the mind does anything that it can to make sure that we're part of the tribe. So if I do something wrong, I don't get the praise for doing a good job. So that almost paralyzes me and stops me from taking action. But if I'm praised for attempting, if I'm praised for trying, even if I fail, try again, try again. That's okay. Did you try all the angles? Did you try all the different routes? Did you try a lever? Did you try asking for support? Did you try pulling instead of pushing? Like there's all kinds of different ways that you can try something. Like there are infinite number of ways that we can try something. And eventually what you're going to find is, well, that didn't work. That didn't work. Well, that worked really well. That sort of worked. That worked well. That didn't work. That didn't work. You're getting data points. And the data points are opportunities for you to measure and recalculate and redirect and refocus. You know, so if you're trying, you're already on the uh, path to succeeding. Now, listen, I do like, I do really like to buy into the Yoda thought, right? Which is try not do or do not. There is no try. So really buy into that. But if there's an authentic attempt, like I'm really making an attempt, I'm really attempting, even though I don't know how to do this, I'm genuinely making a full committed attempt and I'm really learning as I'm going, I'll take that trial day. I want that person on my team because that person is going to learn really quick. They might learn slow, but once they start learning, they're going to learn very, very quickly and they're going to be fast to share it with other people. But if we look at somebody who like is an athlete who just has natural skill, they may only think about themselves and they may not want to share that power with other people. So I'm all about like attempt, authentic, deep, committed attempt. Well, obviously I've been both of those people. Um, you Me too. About, uh, have we talk about, you know, the, the solitude and self-centered nature that is sport. And I think most people resonate with this listening is people from the outside looking in, they always marvel at it. Well, how are you so, so laser focused? We all have a similar goal, you know, friend, enemy, foe. I want to get from point A to point B the quickest way possible. And if you happen to be getting in the way, I would I would probably say I, would, I stand aside, get ready to be run over, but I think where this is bad is when you come out of it. And this is very much, you know, identity crisis and identity issues with the athletes. And um, another colleague of mine in the fitness industry brought it to, to head. And I'll, I'm willing to share this today because it's happened with me is I had that identity crisis once I decided to retire. It's like, well, where do I fit in? Uh, having this expectation of everything's going to fall at my feet because I was obviously fairly successful in in the athletic realms, but that's not always going to, you might be lucky or, you know, you've had all the dominoes align and you just, you know, straight away, everything falls in your lap. But for the majority of people listening, 
that's not going to be the case. And and where I've probably resonated with other coaches who've come from athletics, and you were one of those as well, is you've kind of have to somewhat reinvent yourself again. But looking back to ways in which you were successful in yesteryear, because you and I both, well, we've been in athletics and we both have a disability since birth. So we have another reinvention of ourselves that we can call upon. So when people say, do you stick to one box? It's like, well, I can't. It's impossible. Um, I, I can't fit it. I could put it into one box to be able to communicate within that niche or to those that population or those certain type of people because the picture you know the the picture paints a thousand words just by having the disability on show of for argument's sake you being in a wheelchair people within the wheelchair community know that pj goes through the same day-to-day struggles that i do you know you get the buy-in straight away same with me with the amputee community see the leg on show uh james no, straight away, uh, you know, the, I laugh and joke with, with my clients with this, you know, the transformer approach, you know, you take it off, you take it, you put it on. Right. And where one of the clients was struggling in particular was this identity issue of, you know, not being able to detach from the limb. It's like, well, yeah. yes, it's a part of you. I get that. But this is where, from a disability perspective we are different from every maybe the 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 same equation would happen with a chair user because you're not going to sleep in the chair right i'm going to dispel that myth to anybody that thought that uh i have slept in my leg periodically but that's not not through sometimes that's not through choice that sometimes it's been an accident i've fallen asleep and i just happen to still have it on but where i'm going with this is from a mindset perspective it is both an aid and a hindrance. It's it's it, whether or not you deem it to be a facilitator or something that is going to detract from you. And I think with where you probably you and I are the same, is we've been born with it. It's the hand we've been dealt with. Okay, I've not been dealt the, the fair crack of the whip. So what? Let, let's 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 progress on. There's probably been times you you and I both probably. The, the testing time probably teenage years as you're trying to find your, where you, you fit in within within society but other than that it, it's quite fun it's it's nice to be able to play that narrative and I did question uh, when I was speaking to my mentor uh, last week in terms of was I could tailor myself with just being James the weight loss coach and he's like well no do you go into a fish and chip shop and this is very british now do do they just sell fish and chips obviously the answer to that is no they sell other things as well it's okay with your front your your oh where am i gonna go with this your boarding or your your shop sign saying a specific thing and then when the person comes into the 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 the, phys- the physical or thus virtual shop you can then obviously tailor make whatever their order is so i think with me changing just the business name has helps go from fitness to coaching i'm not 
you're going to have people presuming, oh, I'm just going to get training. I can get whatever I want. I just have to be in accordance with James's ethics, morals. Thus, obviously, from an athlete perspective, I can be ruthless because, like, well, I thought you were this. No, but you can come down on an athlete like a ton of somebody that wants to aspire to the mountaintop. You can kind of be a little bit harsher. It's like, well, I thought you, I thought you, you, you sold a good game. I thought you wanted to get to the mountaintop. You've seen that I've, you've seen through my content. You've seen through, if you were to do a massive trolling on me for social social media or the internet, you've known that, and I can't hide from that, but that's where it's probably humbling. People, if they want to do the research on me, you know, you can go to your heart's content. It's probably stuff of I Google that I probably, oh, didn't know that existed. But where I'm getting from this is it's a perspective. It's it's either something that's going to propel you forward or hold you back. And it's what what propels you forward or holds you back is rarely the outside world. Sure, that can influence. Sure, that can add some thrust. But the real truth is what makes you, what propels you into the future in an amazing, beautiful way or holds you back is your thinking. I always say to my clients, whether, you know, whether I'm on stage or working one-on-one or with a group, I always say, think your thoughts. Don't let your thoughts think you. Because if you, if we look at the mind in very simply look at the mind in two different parts, we look at the conscious mind and we look at the unconscious mind, the unconscious mind controls virtually all of our activity and cognitive behavior. Like, it's well over 85, 90, probably 95% of our activities are controlled by our unconscious mind. Now, that doesn't mean that the unconscious mind can't be controlled. It's looking for the conscious mind to program it. So when you consciously say, this is who I am, this is what I believe, this is the direction I'm going, this is what I want, this is what I expect, this is what I'm creating, the unconscious mind, the RAS, the reticular activating system, gets programmed. And if you're serious, if you're committed to that, the RAS, the reticular activating system gets programmed to start looking for opportunities um, to fulfill what it is you're saying you want. It also looks for whether you're looking positively or negative, negatively, it still looks for confirmation for what you believe about yourself. So again, we come back to identity and how are you believing about yourself? Do you believe that you are harsh, you know, only on uh, the court because you're like, I want to win or in the, you know, in the pool because I want to win? Um, or do you look at, look, this isn't about me hurting or beating somebody else. This is about me doing the absolute best that I can, despite the resistance, despite the, um, the competition, despite the, um, uh, the thoughts or considerations of anybody outside of me, I look at myself and I look at the end goal and I say, okay, what is it that I want and how can I get there? Right. And then we make every effort to perform at the highest possible level. And one of the things that we have to be aware of is um, thinking about um, the result. So many people get get slowed down by the result. Oh, I'll never get there. I don't know how. I'm concerned. What are people going to say? You know, so they think about just the end result. And if you focus only on the result, I love this quote that says, 
If you focus on the result, you'll never change. But if you focus on change, you'll get a new result. And I love this because life and competition is just a recipe. And if you change any particular um, aspect of the recipe, the end result comes out different. For example, some recipes call for both sugar and salt. So let's look at fear for a second as the sugar. And look at, let's look at um, courage as the salt, right? Sugar, while it may taste good, um, can rot our teeth. Just like fear can rot our belief system about ourselves, can rot our um, sense of self-esteem, can rot our sense of value and keep us from moving forward. Whereas salt is an electrolyte, right? Sodium is an electrolyte and it actually allows you to function at a more optimum level. You know, obviously too much can, can uh, cause the body to get out of whack also. But again, if we look at salt as courage, we look at that sodium as courage. Now what? If the electrolyte allows you to function more, um, more appropriately physically, then what does courage do for you psychologically? And what does courage and belief do for you? Um, not just psychologically, but in terms of the action that you take, the way you show up, the commitment that you have, the drive that you um, include you know, in your life. So for me, I look at like fear and courage as parts of a recipe. And so many people say, well, you know, courage is the definition of courage is being afraid and doing it anyway. And I say, that's the beginning of courage. When you're really becoming courageous and driving everything else back and out of your way where you're like, no, this is what I want. This is the direction that I'm going. Right. And I don't care what um, is going on inside of me. I don't care about the anxiety attack. I don't care about the, the panic attack. I don't care about the fear. I don't care about like, am I going to lose this game? Am I going to lose this match? Am I going to lose this competition? No, if I stop for a minute and I go, okay, what is it that I want? And I put my mind on that and I focus on that with courage and drive. All of a sudden, any fear that I have, the moment I'm fully committed, I might pass through fear and courage simultaneously, but it's a pass through. On the other side of that is nothing but courage, nothing but motivation, nothing but drive, right? And so courage allows us to move forward. When I jumped out of a plane the first time, like I wasn't, I was not super duper brave. I was really rethinking whether or not this was a good idea. You know, when I climbed in the Grand Canyon with one of my, with two of my friends and they literally at one point, <clears throat> my friend Jeff is holding me by my wrists, literally holding my wrists. And he squats as low as he possibly can and lowers me over the edge of the Grand Canyon. I'm literally hanging over the edge of the Grand Canyon. And my friend Jeff is holding me by my wrist. I'm literally just dangling. And my friend Tim is two and a half, three feet below me, standing on a 14-inch ledge that's probably, I don't know, 25-degree angle, kicks off most of the gravel, most of the gravel. And Jeff says, okay, Tim, on three, I'm going to drop him. One two, three, and my best friend drops me over the edge of the Grand Canyon. That takes courage. And I had to bypass any fear that I had to be able to get to that point. And we were doing that because we wanted to climb out onto this ridge that nobody else had probably ever been on or very few people had ever been on and certainly probably nobody with a disability. So for me and for you, we have a, a taste of courage because we've grown up in an able-bodied world and probably because of your mom, definitely because of my mom, we were like, that's what I want. And our moms probably said, well, then go and get it. 
-hmm. You know, don't hold back. Live your life the way you want to live. When I started living crazy, like adrenaline junkie stuff, my grandmother said to my mom, well, what if PJ dies? And my mom said, if he dies, he dies doing something he loves and he dies with friends. Boom. That's the way we get to live. Like, how do you want, like, I have tingles on my spine right now because I get so excited. When we think about living the way we want to live, when we think about living with excitement, when we think about living with courage, when we think about living in this beautiful, amazing way that really draws us into a level of excitement and makes our mouth water from um, excitement and makes our hands sweat because we're so excited, right? And we're just enthusiastic about this and we can talk about it and dream about it and think about it all the time. When we begin to live into that lifestyle, everything else in your world gets better. You know, you can't share something you don't have. And if you're not really living in a way that really fills you with joy and love and laughter and compassion and generosity, then you can't share those with any real degree. You can share them a little based on whatever reserves you currently have in you. But if you're living in that way, you're constantly being filled with courage. You're constantly being filled with generosity. You're constantly being filled with gratitude and joy and happiness and love. All that, when you're filled with that, you can share it and share it and share it. I say give everything when you're connected to an inexhaustible source. And typically what I'm talking about is the divine, right? But in this particular case, if you're living the way you want to live, that's basically an inexhaustible source because you're constantly plugged in and moving in the direction that you want to go. You're literally honoring the integrity of your own soul, your own consciousness, your own like real thirst for adventure. If that's what you want, maybe what you really love is reading. Maybe what you really love is painting. Maybe what you really love is just hiking. Maybe what you really love is just literally being a stay-at-home mom or dad. I don't care. What I care about is what moves you and are you courageous enough to step back and for just a minute and look around and go, hold on. What is it that I want? I want that. And then step forward and move towards it and get what you want. You know, let me tell you this one last thing while I'm on this, on this uh, roll, right? Um, <clears throat> research demonstrates that when you take two rats and put them in a tube facing each other, one rat will inevitably push the other rat back so it can continue to move forward. And as it does, the other rat moves backwards. And this, this builds and strengthens their identity. One has the identity of the winner. The other one has the identity of, let's say, someone who acquiesces or a rat who acquiesces, gives in. So that rat who wins will win every time you put it in a tube. That rat who wins will um, always find the warm spot to sleep. That rat who wins will always get the best food in the first food. Always, always. However, the study also shows that if you take the same two rats and the one that acquiesces or gives in and, and retreats, if you push that rat from the back, you just push it from the back and it starts to cause the other rat to go backwards, their mindset, their mindset shift. The identity of the rat who was losing originally had developed a mindset of or an identity and a mindset of winning. It literally changes the biochemistry in the brain. The other brain of the other rat shifts also into the loser. Now the rat that's winning, even though it was being pushed from the back, will win every time and get the warm spots to sleep and the best food and eat first. Why? Identity. Because of the courage to apply that identity to say, this is who I am. That's what I want. That's where I'm going. That's how I behave. That's how I act. That's how I live. Why? Because this is how I believe about myself. This is my identity. This is what I know. How you believe and what you know about yourself 
and your willingness to implement that powerfully impacts your future. Do you think from, from if you were to implement, you know, that study of the rats into, into to the here and now uh, and the world we were living with, you know, access to 24 uh-huh. news outlets, social media mm-hmm. at the touch of a button. And this is a good thing. This is, I mentioned this on, on the previous episode uh, last week of, you know, my, one of my clients said, well, what what two industries use people as a consumer and describes them as users? The tech industry and and drug dealing. Do you think because of people's belief system as, you know, they always want to look, I'm generally speaking, at the external of somebody else's life is always better than mine, he's always hit setting them up for failure because if they were going to obviously compare and contrast of, I wish I had such and such life, you're belittling yourself and you're making, you're putting themself on a, on a grand stage and a platform mm-hmm. and obviously making yourself either insignificant or lower, or you're looking to try to make yourself feel better when that other person has a failure. Mm-hmm. So I would say that it that it's not the comparison that's the problem. It's the way you identify yourself um, in comparison to someone else. That's the problem. Because I can look at somebody, I can look at you, you're physically stronger than I'll ever probably be, right? Um, and while I'm not a Paralympian, you know, I am a martial artist and I did um, competitive wheelchair rugby. Um, I am a snow skier. You know, so I've done these kinds of things, um, but you're physically stronger than I'll ever be. So, or likely ever be. And so um, if I look at you and I compare myself to you for value, for identity, for who I am, to tell me who I am, then I'm probably going to suffer and struggle. But if I look at myself and I go, well, this is who I am, and I compare myself to you, it's not about whether I'm better or worse. It's just, um, it's just a fascinating for me in my mind, it's a fascinating comparison that says we're both moving along the same trajectory. And it look in my mind, it looks and feels as if we're side by side moving in the same direction, but not in competition and not one better than the other. It just is, that's how you live and who you are, but we're both moving forward through life as, you know, as life moves on, as we age or whatever, and I'm doing the same thing through my life. And so it doesn't feel like I'm less than you because um, I'm not looking at the comparison to get value as to where I am in, in the pecking order to look at whether or not. I'm better or worse than you. I'm just looking at the fascinating diversity between you and I. Does that make sense? I'm not looking at at comparison. I'm looking at diversity, the curiosity of diversity. Do you think that's where people are are going wrong? And I apologize to interrupt you there. No, no, no. We're good. When they they look to Instagram or, you know, health magazines, is that where people, 
and generally speaking, yeah. this is mostly yeah. women, yeah. but yeah. obviously the, the body image and ultimately some people will call it body confidence or, yeah. you know, the depreciation of oneself. Mm-hmm. I think that's where people are coming unstuck, especially in the modern age. Absolutely. And I think it's, it comes back to um, how do they feel about themselves before they look at those images? Do they love themselves? When was the last time they looked in the mirror at themselves with no clothes on and identified things that they really love and appreciate? When was the last time that they were grateful for the things that they had? One of my greatest prayers is thank you for giving uh, me the eyes to see beauty and the heart to appreciate it. Right. And so are they looking um, in the mirror with the eyes to see beauty in themselves, uh, not just their physical form, but also in themselves? And are they experiencing the heart that appreciates the beauty that they have and that they give? When I look in the mirror, I literally have this sense of love for myself. In fact, there's this ridiculous story. Like this has happened to me twice where I was walking down the street one time and another time in my own, in my own house, in my entryway to my home, there's a huge mirror, okay? But this one time I was walking down the street and somebody was pushing me. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw the reflection of myself. And this was, I think this person stopped pushing me or, you know, wasn't in the picture or whatever my mind didn't see. But my, the, out of the corner of my eye, my eye saw myself and my mind immediately thought, and I didn't recognize it as myself. myself. This all happened in a millisecond. But my mind goes, oh, I love that guy. And I turned to look and I was like, oh my God, that's me. That's hilarious. And then I did it in my own house with my own mirror one time. I came in and I don't know, I was doing something and I turned around and out of the corner of my eye, I saw, I saw the reflection of myself. And I know I was in my own house and I know nobody else was in here at the time, but my mind still very quickly said, oh, I love that guy. And I turned to look, I was like, oh my God, that's me again. It was just the funniest thing. So I legitimately, genuinely love myself. When I look in the mirror and talk to myself, um, I feel like it's, I call it namaste talks. Namaste, the divine in me recognizes the divine in you. So when I look and I talk to myself in the mirror, and I've, I've played in mirrors since I was little, my mom used to joke and say, he doesn't need, PJ doesn't need toys. He just needs a mirror, right? I would talk to the mirror. I'd make funny faces. I'd look inside my eyes. I'd look at my nose. I'd look inside my mouth. I'd see what I could, you know, what I could see, um, you know, just out of pure curiosity. And I remember being a kid saying, who are you? Like, like, what are you? Like, I really wanted to know more like this whole human thing. I was like, I don't like, I don't get it. Like there's something more than just this physical, like, like I wanted to know the deeper parts of me. And so when I, when I do namaste talks and I talk to myself in the mirror, I just feel like it's God talking to God, just like, you know, between you and I, for me, excuse me, for me, I believe all conversations are just God talking to God. You know, even when we talk to ourselves, there's a part of us that needs to hear from another part of us, you know, and if it's kind, if it's gentle, if it's nurturing, if it's loving, if it's empowering, wonderful. But if it starts to pull us down, that's not the divine in us. That's the ego, the small self. That's the fear in us. That's the sugar starting to rot us from the inside out. So we need to turn on by putting in a little more salt in there by bringing in that, um, that courage, you know, change that. One of the greatest ways that you can shift your life is just by choosing to be courageous instead of allowing yourself to be in fear. 
and listen to the language, choosing to be courageous versus allowing yourself to be in fear. It's a big difference. Do you think it's because, uh, and, uh, and don't quote me on this, I think it's you know the, the mythical person of Adonis, isn't it? Where he looks mm-hmm. at himself in the mirror countless times. So that's funny because I didn't re- remember Adonis looks at himself in the mirror that much because a friend of mine who uh, runs um, the Live Great Lifestyle podcast, the one that I want to introduce you to, I always refer to him as Adonis also because, you know, he's like, I don't know, six one or some six two maybe, and just amazingly cut. Um, and he's got this great picture of him leaping in, on the beach, and he's leaping over the setting sun. So the setting sun is under him. It's a really cool picture, and it just reminds me of what I would think of Adonis as being. So I didn't know that Adonis looked in the mirror a lot. Now, listen, I, I, I think, when I look, I think the mirror, it is, but ultimately, yeah. I don't know my Greek myth mythology that well um it's been a while since i've studied it also and obviously you got, you got medusa as well and, and do you think it's because of those kind of myth and legends and ultimately it, it's storytelling at the end of the day and it's right. fed down through the generations sure because obviously my story is the complete opposite to you because uh, i still have a fascination in the mirror but my mom sometimes said to me oh you, what, what did she say? But I, I used to, as a grow, kid growing up, used to love my reflection, always looking in a mirror. Uh, yeah. So why is that opposite? The, We're the same. We like, we like that. No, but it's always looked as a bad, as a bad thing. It's like, well, you, you, oh. you looking at it more from an egotistical uh, point of view. This is me yeah. paraphrasing. I'm not going to put words into a yeah. mouth because ultimately sure, sure, that's sure. not that's a bit harsh. But I think probably most athletes. I probably got courage out of it because it's like, well, I know I look good. Um, I, I feel strong. Yeah, yeah. The only issue where it's become troubling is, you know, the, the, the male dysmorphia that they have, they think they're smaller than they are, you know, the small, small man syndrome. Uh, and I had, and I'm not ashamed of this. I had mental issues 18 months ago and what I saw in the mirror Sure. wasn't a true reflection of what I was but I think as I became more and more resourceful and more courageous to you know take on that fear of mm-hmm. you know that what what was all under that ma- magical carpet that we all do with let's put our, our, our things we don't want to deal with let's just put it under that sweep it under the carpet and we'll deal with it later and I uh, confronted that I probably had a re reevaluation of of what is myself and then when people were to question you know the success of my being and and ultimately my sporting success i very much you know got reacquainted with my confident self like yeah. you're not talking to me like that i wouldn't talk to myself like that so you yeah. as the other individual will not do that but i will not demean what you said and i said to this as to a high school kid when i was working in education i just said come back to me when you've made a national team and we can have a discussion <laughs> i know at 15 16 it's unlikely if you'd have been disabled i yeah. might have had to eat my words because that's that's <laughs> a possibility that you take that you take your licks i'm going to prove that 
that adult wrong. As an able-bodied person, probably 90 to 99% unlikely to ever happen. But what I would want people to take from what I've just said is you take that 1% and obviously take the fear of what I've said and brought you down a peg or two and you run with what I've said and go and be courageous and do something else, mm-hmm. I've done my job. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure there's a question in that, um, but many people look in the mirror through the eyes of ego and comparison, and they either love what they see or they hate what they see, instead of just seeing what they see and then consciously choosing how they want to respond to that, Right. So instead of consciously choosing, they just let their mind run amok and their unconscious mind makes the comparison, makes the judgment. And then they, the conscious them, by default, um, suffers the result of that. So this is why I say think your thoughts, don't let your thoughts think you. I consciously choose what I want to think when I look in the mirror. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that I'm like, all right, what's going on? Like, do do I look good today? Like, I don't know, this is, you know, that, I don't know, maybe I need to do this, should I change my hair? That's, you know, those are smaller things that aren't that big of a deal. But if I live by that and let that determine who I am, my value, then we have problems. But if I do that and they go, "Eh, you know, can't fix it. And then I just go back to loving myself, you know, and accepting myself and living with that level of confidence, then that's where I am. That's a better place to be. But the difference is that I'm consciously choosing what I want to think, right? Instead of being thought. Does that make sense? You understand what I mean by that, right? Consciously choose how you want to think. Don't let your unconscious mind choose how you're going to be, right? Because what happens is the beliefs that you have lead to your thinking. Your thinking leads to your emotions. So if you are consciously thinking, then your emotional state is going to be better. Likely, unless you're consciously thinking negative, right? But if you're unconscious about your thinking and you're thinking anyway, your, your unconscious mind is thinking, then the re- emotions that you experience, you're subject to whatever comes up, sadness, frustration, disappointment. That's why when people are like, oh, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Well, that's on you. Like change that. I don't care how you woke up. The moment you are aware of it, change it. My, uh, David Goggins, um, he's a former Navy SEAL over here in the United States. Really, really very, very cool cat. Um, sometimes referred to as the toughest man on the planet. Um, David Goggins has a saying, he says, he talks about winning the war in the morning. Now, winning the war in the morning from David Goggins is waking up in the morning and doing all the difficult things, right? Getting all the hard things out of the way while your willpower is so strong. But I borrow his term, winning the war in the morning, to talk about our cognitive ability, our thinking, how we're perceiving ourselves and others, our emotional state. The moment that you feel or start to think something negative about yourself or feel bad about yourself. If you are aware, hyper aware, you'll catch that sensation early. And this works with anxiety too. If you feel that early and you immediately catch it and you shift it and you go, well, this isn't how I want to think or feel. The moment you change that is the moment that you have control back. This is called winning the war in the morning. If you're not winning the war in the morning, what you're doing is you're letting that fear, that anxiety, that negative self-talk, You're letting that rise in you. And then pretty soon when it gets to lunch or dinner or the midnight snack, 
The problem is winning that war, it's not just a small battle between you and a thought. It's now you against an entire army of um, negative thinking, of years of uh, negative thinking, of feeling bad about yourself. You're just like, you're already way behind the power curve. So you're one of your greatest um, advers- or, uh, allies is awareness, early awareness. The sooner you can catch something that's making you weakened or stealing from you, the quicker you can shift it. Like there are times, like I've never had anxiety until last year when um, last year, like March, 2019, April, 2019, when I got really sick and lost like 85% of my physical strength and I still haven't regained most of it. So I lost about 85% of my physical strength and close to 50% of my lung capacity, but I could sit and be um, a sore loser about that. I could be sad about that. I could feel like a victim, or I could simply say, look, that's where I am. And now where do I want to go from here? And I can choose um, to be empowered. Now I never had anxiety until that happened. And when I couldn't move and I was stuck, barely um, being able to take care of myself, excuse me, um, anxiety started to rise. I would wake up in the middle of the night. I couldn't breathe. I could I barely could get out of my own bed. When I sat up, I still couldn't breathe. I just felt super duper weak. And so um, what I realized through working through that was the sooner I caught that, the sooner I could address it. So now, as soon as I feel it coming up in my body, as soon as I hear the thinking happen in my mind, immediately I go, do I want to feel like this? Or no, I go, do I like how I feel? And I go, no. What would I rather feel instead? Well, I'd rather feel this, this, and this. Okay, cool. And then I just shift into that. And then the anxiety goes away. Almost never do I have problems with it anymore. <clears throat> Excuse me, because of that. And so that's just choosing to be empowered. But you have to be aware enough to catch it early. So winning the war in the morning. I love that. And obviously you and I have had long discussions long before we even did this episode. Yes, so I know right. you and I can talk. For, yes. for hours yes. yes yes but that being said i want to ask you my penultimate question that i'd like to ask everybody excellent if you were to sit down with any athlete dead or alive who would that be and why i would choose my martial arts teacher's teacher takamatsu sensei because he was one of the last real authentic warring ninja um he was fighting in the china and japan war Japan, China war, I forget how it said. Um, and he is Japanese and he went over to China and was an operator over there. And so, and he was little dude, he wasn't very big or very tall. So he's small and skinny and, you know, not very physically strong like me. Um, but his skill set was phenomenal. So I would want to sit down with him and learn more about his mindset and his training and his commitment and his struggles and what he did in his own mind to be able to continue to move forward. And did he ever break down? And if he did, for how long and how did he get that back? So Takamatsu Sensei. And my final question before we wrap up the episode, if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Those who shift the quickest are the most successful. Those who shift the quickest are the most successful and shift in the direction of empowerment. So once again, PJ, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Thanks, brother.
Super fun. I always enjoy our conversations. So I hope there's some juicy, delicious stuff for all of your audience. I very much enjoyed our conversation. I very much did so as well. So thanks Thanks again for spending the time with me. My absolute pleasure. Have a great day and lots of love to your audience. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let PJ and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at the PJ's Wisdom. So that's T-H-E-P-J-S-W-I-S-D-O-M and at the usual at James O. Roberts 11. And again, I'll spell that out for you. That's J-A-M-E-S, the letter O-R-O-B. E-R-T-S and the number 11. And again, you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. And in addition, if you had any follow-up questions, don't hesitate to shoot them over as well. And finally, don't forget to check out PJ's website, www.pjswisdom.com. So that's www.pjswisdom.com. And as always, don't forget to check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk and click on the tab resources. But not forgetting, I've also started a new Facebook group, especially for the podcast, which you can find by typing in The Mindset Athlete. And last and not least, the links will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category general. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.